Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Here's one that he hits hard and deep into left center field. Trout is going back on that one. He's not going to be able to make the catch on it. He's going to have to play it on the warning track. They're going to wave that runner home and coming in and scoring all the way from first base will be Mazzara. Well, Mercedes in a, a home run there, but he drove in a run with that double in the left center field. Numbers last year were your mean Mercedes, 23 home runs over 80 RBIs in double-A and triple-A. Hey, White Sox fans. This is Brett Valentini, and we are here on the Southside Sox podcast. And with me today is going to be longtime Southside Sox writer, current Southside hit pen writer, it's Darren Black. Welcome, welcome, welcome aboard, Darren. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Good to be here. All right, we are going to talk first off, we're going to get right down to it, and we're going to talk about a Southside Hit Pen article that you wrote, and it addressed the Astros cheating scandal, Dallas Keuchel in particular, that was sort of the, the hook to get in, but took you took a lot of different angles uh, into the story and sort of dug a little deeper than I think most uh, analysts and fans are, are taking a look at. You had some uh, sort of source material with a Sports Illustrated article. We'll get into all of that. But give me your overall assessment, how you're feeling, given that this you know, news broke a, a while back and we're st- it's still sort of settling in on all of us. We're starting to see some of the first reactions of fans to the Astros yeah. <laughs> uh, in Florida. Uh, how's it settling with you, and, 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 and what's the feeling going forward with, uh, with how the team is going to be regarded and, and maybe how we're going to actually take a look at this scandal overall? <laughs> Yeah, um, because I tried to, when I first came up with the idea, I was trying to remember how I felt uh, when the Mitchell report came and all the steroid scandals, and I I couldn't help but feel that I was much more angry about the science dealing with technology and various other forms, being trash cans, whatever, whatever they used, um, than even the steroids, which I found odd. Um, at first I thought it was kind of like the, the White Sox didn't really have a central figure in the steroid scandal. Like sure. It was Jose Canseco and there was some rumblings about Sammy Sosa as well, but they were mostly tied to other teams. But then you have the cheating scandal come out and then the Sox signed Dallas Keuchel to a huge deal previously. And it all just kind of started spiraling down from there because Looking back at it, Dallas Keuchel's first comments were very similar to Alex Bregman's and Jose Altuve. He just had the like <laughs> the better opportunity of being on the White Sox and the Astros and saying them a month or two earlier. Um, and it just, I mean, it's only going to get worse as well because right now the Astros, we know what they did. We know they cheated in the 2017 regular season and playoffs. You know, they cheated in 2018. Rumors about 2019 that are unsubstantiated, but you can't really fault people for thinking that. And then this Red Sox thing, the commissioner keeps kicking down the road. It's only going to it's only gonna get worse from here. But in terms of the White Sox angle, I just, the like Dallas Keuchel saying that he still deserved a World Series title or that it was a tough subject to talk about Mike Fires. Uh, blowing the whistle on everything just none of it none of it sits well with me do you think uh the fact that we really have in spite of the the fact that pretty much immediately 
again, whether it's fans, maybe even players, media, sort of had this assumption, oh, well, there was a, there's a handful of teams doing it. Oh, there's five or ten doing it. There's ten or fifteen doing it. And obviously the, the Red Sox have been nabbed. And as you say, that, that the results of that investigation continue to sort of get kicked down the road. But every, every indication is that it's not going to be, any, it's going, it's not going to be quite as damning. But it's the fact that we haven't heard any other tricklings about any other teams, uh, in spite of the fact that initially when this broke, that was sort of the presumption, that really can't help but only make the Astros look worse here. Yeah, I mean, it does because from the reaction of other players, like even on the Astros who have been rumored to be, or I'm sorry, the Dodgers who have been rumored to be doing some shady things as well. I mean, they were very, they had very strong comments uh, Yasmani Grandal had st- strong comments at Sox Fest. Um, Tim Anderson's comments were <laughs> typical Tim Anderson, and I loved it. Yeah. Uh, but he, it just seems like, even if, sure, I think I've seen, maybe they said up to 12 teams were doing something. It just seems like whatever the Astros were doing was a step beyond what even those other 11 teams were doing. It just seems they took everything a step too far and that's why a lot of people are turning uh, turning their anger more towards Mike Fires for, for coming out and saying that this was wrong and benefited from it but he ended up doing the right thing eventually well none of the others did so you should get some credit there as well yeah and it's such a leap you know we we get it that there's always this stuff you know between the lines within the game uh, you can stretch back to uh, Bobby Thompson um, for crying out loud, where that that's maybe some I, I imagine that is the first instance of electronic sign stealing or electronic cheating, given that the scoreboard's flashing or whatever. Uh, so this I mean, the idea of trying to sort of t- to cheat, you're not cheating, you're not trying or whatever. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily new, but the fact that the Astros have taken this attitude that sort of says, well, you know, A, everyone else is doing it, which to date has been disproven, or it certainly hasn't been acknowledged in any way by MLB. Yeah. The notion I mean, that... if some teams were cheating, then they were doing it pretty poorly. Like, the White Sox <laughs> were cheating the past couple of years. They yeah. were doing it very poorly. Yeah. Or they've done it in such a stealth way that like we'll never know, and they won't they won't have dumb names like Code Breaker or Trash Cans for Christ's sake. You know they're they're doing it so well like we, it'll go undetected and we'll never know. Now of course we know that's not the case because somebody's going to talk. I think that's the 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 disingenuous sort of nature of this where it's where I mean it, there's a lot of angles of disingenuous behavior from the Astros and, and one of them being oh you know. We're not doing anything, you know, different than others did, and, and you're pointing fingers in that way. When really, it's turning out to not really have a lot behind. You know, those types of presumptions and, and and accusations really haven't shown a lot of teeth yet. We still don't even have this Red Sox report, and again, the indications are that it's not going to be something that's going to be quite as damning. And and perhaps what might be most damning about it is the fact that there's a, a common factor between Houston and Boston in in Cora. Yeah, and I mean he. It was a player-driven thing, but Alex Cora was also one of the main proponents of it. Yeah. So wherever he was going, they were, I mean, he had to bring them, or whatever system he was using, over to another team. Yeah. Like Carlos Beltran, if he wouldn't have been fired in with the Mets and there was no story, I'm sure he would have brought all of that over to the Mets as well. And maybe we'd be talking about the, Net, the Mets 2020 World Series champions because <laughs> of it, which, I mean might sound good for a few seconds but then when you find out 2017 world series is illegitimate the 2018 world series we don't know 2019 seems fine but then like if if the story never came out and then it happened to get in 2020 then we're kind of getting into a a 1918 1919 scenario where we can't even know who actually won and that's just awful for the sport awful for anyone who likes the sports I mean, it's already, people already call it a dying game, and this is yeah. not helping anything whatsoever. Yeah, we have a situation that's that's a good, um, that's a good comparison to make, uh, you know, with the Black Sox era, because obviously that's what changed it all, created the commissioner, etc. But we have so many stories of players, Hall of Fame players, players, teams, you know, the Cubs are certainly out there, uh, a number of other players, um, you know, who, who clearly did uh, a gamble, you know, throw, tweak, uh, and of course it had to come to a head 
with with the Black Sox in 1919. But you're right. If if this story doesn't come out, or or if the full story is yet to come out, or maybe never does come out in some way, uh, then we have a situation where you've got this like vague, I don't know, like uh, 1910 to 1920 type of situation where we we, yeah. we don't really ever know fully what happened exactly. And I mean, what makes it worse for me is just. I don't want to call other people smug because I'm sure people call me that when, <laughs> when I'm on the opposite end of something. So I, it's just when when I hear Alex Bredman come out and Altuve and Keuchel and say that they still deserve it, like I don't just and do the, I, I don't. First off, I don't think they even think they really deserve it, and right. nobody says Barry Bonds really deserves the world's or the home run title. No mm-hmm. one really says like no one really gives Pete Rose like. Yeah. a leg up for having the most hits like Dallas Keuchel is a world series winner a Cy Young award winner multi-time Gold Glover multi-time all-star but he's not and he's one of been one of the better pitchers of the 2010s 20-teen era and mm-hmm. he will never be known for that ever again he will always be known as he was on the team that she did yeah, I mean that's the that's the scary thing for the this or perhaps the fitting thing for this team is no matter what they go on and do, and certainly the guys who are still in the Astros, they're they're going to be wearing that cap, so there's always going to be that they're like wearing that scarlet A, you know, right on their cap. But these guys who've yeah, moved yeah. on to other teams like Keuchel, I mean, no matter you know he could win a World Series with the White Sox this year, and of course that's a great story and that's a triumph, et cetera. But you wonder these guys who have actually gotten out of Houston how they are going to ever be able to remake their career presuming they're even able to achieve at the same level without a trash can helping them and whatnot. So let's presume one or two guys will do that. How will they how will they end up being seen? Because it's it's definitely not a given, as you're saying, that uh, the first thing, you know, the thing, you know, fortunately on their tombstone or at the top of their uh, Hall of Fame plaque is going to be, you know, some sort of mention of this because this, I mean, this shadows the game. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. scary stuff. I mean, the, the better guys on that team are much further away to the Hall of Fame um, than even before this anyway. But if so, I mean, we already know Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran are already out. But um, I've seen Tony Kemp come out and say that he didn't want any a part of it. Hmm. Um, A.J. Reed was on the White Sox um, after the 2017 season, um, obviously. And he, I mean, if technically if you look at his stats he did a little bit better at houston but (laughs) (laughs) relatively speaking (laughs) yeah but i mean the main guys are still in houston like it's bregman altuve um and correa like those three are the main guys and they're all there and what happens with the steroid era is people tend to look at uh barry bonds and roger clemens as like okay they definitely did it but they were probably Hall of Famers before, question mark. So maybe they'll get him. And then you have it on the opposite spectrum where Mark McGuire doesn't get enough votes ever because people just think his whole entire career is based off of it. Mm -hmm. And for me right now, this is fantasy baseball season as well. And I'm going out of my way to not take any Astros (laughs) because I just feel like some of them just aren't as good as advertised, especially if they really were using buzzers last season which again is unsubstantiated and there's no proof yet, but they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And so I don't, yeah. The smugness and the commons aside, and you know, and that's great to project and I get it. Now the whole world's against the Astros, poor guys. Okay. Yeah. Rally together. But you wonder what gets into a guy's head. Now, if you're mentally strong and you're a top level athlete, you're supposed to be able to close all that stuff off, getting booed and so forth. And, you know, for all we know, all these guys are going to end up being perhaps just about as good as they were, maybe even better because they're able to close all that stuff out. But what about the couple guys who maybe can't? Maybe George Springer can't get past the notion that folks think he's a fraud. And maybe, I mean, just throwing a name out there. Uh, sorry, George. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he is one of the ones because when you look at some of these guys, like swing rates over the year, like at home and not, the fact that. Clayton Kershaw threw, I think it was like 60 or 70 breaking balls yep. in the playoffs against the Astros, and none of them swung against them. <laughs> yeah, like, yep. How about that? It's, I mean, it's for, I mean, it's Clayton Kershaw. Like his bad <laughs> season is still like one of the 
best White Sox pitching seasons ever. Hey, Darren, it could happen. It could happen. Come on. Yeah, I'm sure, Brent. Oh, my God. (laughs) That curveball is just so easy not to swing. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So one of... I mean, it's just... It's just bad for for everything about them, and I, I, again, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt for the cheating either. But even the organization top down doesn't deserve any like. They went out and said they weren't against domestic violence, and then traded for Roberto Ozuna, mm-hmm. and then Michael Taubman berated a female reporter who was wearing, um, a band signifying domestic violence surviving, and it's just they, it's just. I mean, it's a frat town, and it yeah. got out of hand. I think it's and they deserve every kind of punishment, yeah. even though it's not a big one. They they can get. Houston has had a really bad year, and if it's possible to have, I don't think there will ever be a hundred plus win season in baseball that's ever quite as bad as this Houston Astros season's been. Because you're right, from the PR side, they've been horrendous, and obviously from the on the field side, where they're even still benefiting from some of the fumes of the cheating, even if we're gonna say that they were clean in 2000. Carlos Correa sure seems very convinced they weren't cheating in 2019. He can't yes. stop repeating it. So yeah. uh, that's no Jose kind of... Jose Altuve is taking off his shirt to prove right. he had a right. so, so that sort of that sort of incessant insistence, Darren, I tell you, that's no kind of tell. I'm no poker player, but that's no kind of tell. When you just keep repeating it over and over again, you got to tell everybody. That's never yeah. a tell that maybe something fishy's going on. So, you know, the story yeah. may not be... It may not be may not be dead yet you know be interesting to see who yeah. who else you know may talk um yeah i mean and i do wish because i feel like if uh the white Sox media would also talk like go talk to dallas keichel every single week about this like say hey like these guys say this do you have a response and if he talked about it more often maybe he would be in the same boat as that because mm-hmm. he had very strong comments in january but he just hasn't spoken on it since then which is probably smart because <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to bring that bad juju to your new team, a new, very young, very good team. Well, and you can't manage to talk about this without sounding like a jackass. I mean, I think that's definitely been proven by Houston and and the Houston satellite, you know, players. Frankly, there haven't been many people come out to say, certainly among the principals, who've come away in any way clean here. You know, you had the manager saying like, you know, he didn't have control of things and that in in the two years between the 2017, 2019, he like grew up a ton as a manager and it would would never have happened again in 2019. <laughs> what in the world? So, I mean, the more you talk, yeah, I mean, I, the minute you it step was, in. It was always weird for me with the A.J. Hinch stuff because he people were like, oh, like he was the good guy of the situation. But all he did was break <laughs> some equipment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I break equipment all the time, <laughs> not on purpose. Yeah, you know, uh, it's called it's a temper or something, man. But yeah, I mean, it's it's top down in that organization, and I, I don't know how they. I don't know how. Well, I guess I kind of do know how. No players got suspended. It'd be pretty hard to say which ones did it all the time. Like what level someone should get suspended as. Like again, Tony Kemp said he knew of it but never used it. Like, does that guy deserve a suspension? I don't know. Yeah, that it's would just... technically be the Buck Weaver argument, right? Buck yeah. knew what was going on, didn't do anything about it. You know, uh, I guess Joe Jackson as well obviously played well. I mean, that that would be that argument of, well, you know, I'm not as guilty because, you know, even though I knew about it, he didn't say anything. You know, um, it's tricky. Yeah, and, and... there was only one person that did say something. And he even said it in 2018 and nothing happened. And so... <laughs> what a good person does is try to get it out there and he did and that's and, a, <laughs> yeah and and that's something and we, i did see a tweet that um mike fires like <laughs> during one day in spring training brought a whistle and like was blowing it to start the day so at least <laughs> at least he's having fun with it but I feel I kind of feel bad for him for what he's going to have to go through. Well, and and, and you know, he's a tough situation too because he he's obviously got some other issues that have been floated around. You know, fair or not, even true or not. I mean, it seems like he's a, a slightly complicated figure as well. Yeah. And certainly, a guy yes. who did participate in you know he did benefit from, uh, you know, as some of his teammates have said. I think Correa is one. I think who's in your article, Correa saying, "Oh, look, he was so smiley when he got his ring." You know, like somehow you can't. Yeah. Be happy I to mean, be. I mean, they were all very smiley yeah, when they exactly. got their rings. <laughs> you know, but the the treatment, and this is something that that came out in 
you know, that, that came out really well in the Elephant in the Room article that you wrote for Southside Hip Pen, and that is uh, the, the treatment of fires really as a, a villain here. And this isn't necessarily just Astro's teammates. I mean, clearly many of them come out, including Keuchel, saying, oh, you know, he, he broke that code, which seems like just such a load of crap. But, I mean, when you're yeah. talking about even, like, uh, David Ortiz has come out, there have been a number of, uh, you know, past, present commentators uh, who, and certainly not universally, uh, in, in, not even close to universally backing fires and what he did, and that's a real, that's a troubling aspect to me of all this, and, and clearly it was troubling to you too as well. Yeah, I mean, the the first time I noticed, well, uh, Jessica Mendoza, I think, was one of the, well, at least one of the yeah. first like more known people to come out about it, and I just kept seeing a pattern. Uh, between all these people like they were somehow sort some way tied to the astro scandal in the first place and they were just mad or tied to some sort of cheating previously like jessica mendoza she's now been fired for or asked to resign whatever whatever it is yeah, from the mets not but doing obviously it. when she was there carlos beltran was just hired from to be the manager so that would be understandable that she would be mad that the new manager she just works for is going to end up having leaving. Yeah. Um, David Ortiz is definitely, even if he didn't use steroids, even though he may or may not have a failed test, um, his 2004 team is riddled with steroid users, like most famously Manny Ramirez. He definitely benefits from that. And then it's just keeps going down the line, down the line. And then you start seeing like, Oh, it's just uh, former Astros guys, current Astros guys saying that it just, all of it was very disingenuous to me and like even like Mike Fires obviously was not the perfect guy in this situation but he was the only guy that took the extra step and there is no reason he should he should get criticized for participating for taking advantage but there's no no reason he should be criticized for finally being the one guy that came out I don't think, Darren, in your piece, you actually, and I don't know if it, I don't think it's important too, but I don't think in, in your piece, correct me if I'm wrong, that you actually recommended how we should look at these guys and what punishment should have been meted out. But uh, is it realistic to, uh, is it enough for us to all emotionally and sort of mentally and, you know, quote unquote, on paper, sort of strip this title and not necessarily have Major League Baseball come out and say, which is ultimately a somewhat empty gesture, I think, anyway. But do we, do we, did we need baseball to come out and say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to put a blank space next, you know, next to the title or something"? Or do you think it's important to to take it to that degree? I mean, well, first off, the commissioner saying it was just a piece of metal was <laughs> the exact opposite approach he should have took to that trophy. Oh. Um, but first, the because he because I watched his um, press conference that MLB Network didn't carry, of course. Yeah. Um, is saying that um, I precedent precedent over and over and over again, and I'm sure in his head he was thinking of the 1919 Cincinnati Reds, who are still the 1919 champions, even though we know for a fact the White Sox didn't try. Yeah. To win, um, but I I mean it's a hundred years ago. You can't make decisions based off of a hundred years ago. It's not how baseball should work. It's not, I mean, only white people were playing at the time mm -hmm. at that first time. Like yeah. what there was tons of precedents were yeah. broken between that time. And that should have been one. I understand maybe not going out and trying to punish every player to a certain degree of guilt um, with, because there's a bunch of varying degrees, but they should have, taken like an emergency vote, uh, made that $5 million fine, like much, much bigger, definitely taken away the title. Um, cause if, I mean, if you're, if you're not going to punish the players, just punish the organization, punish the owner as much as you can, as much as you can take the opposite of the kind of Shaw mountain Landis approach to it. Yeah, that was, um, I mean, I think that's what really got me in, in, in the piece I had written a, a earlier than in yours and a little bit more just an emotional reaction a little less thought out than your piece was on south side socks because you know it really strikes you as much as uh oh that you know there's the scarlet a on them and you know everyone will always think of them as cheaters and all this stuff that we ran down and the truth is they got away with it 
you know, they, they got their rings, they got their money, they got their um, fame, even though now they've maybe twisted into more of an infamous type of thing. Um, they largely uh, got away with this. And that's, you know, as a fan that, you know, it leaves you powerless and it is sort of infuriating because you do want a sense of fair play. This isn't a situation that's as muddled, I don't think, and maybe this is why your reaction was a little different. It's not as muddled as a steroid situation when you had most teams touched by it and there just still was a lot of question marks, Mitchell report aside. The fact that this could really be zoned in on one team and they largely they largely got away with it is um, it's frustrating. It's really disheartening, I think, as, as a fan to think, well, wait, then... You know, you've got people coming out in the light in light of the scandal saying, well, okay, then why wouldn't we do it? You know, if yeah. we had to do it all well, over again, why wouldn't yeah. we do it? I mean, and I'm sure Alex Cora thought that when he went to the Red Sox and brought some of that over <laughs> yeah. to whatever extent it was. And I'm sure Beltran would have done the same with the Mets and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It's, after that, it's just a snowball if you get it to work once. And thankfully, now there's going to be more of a watchful eye on uh, video record using and other yeah. things and definitely a hawk's eye on the Astros for the very near and probably far off future. Well, there's one thing that Southside Sox readers uh, know from Darren, and that is um, a terrific sense of uh, analysis. This piece on Southside Hip Pen was a very different sort of piece of analysis, but uh, uh, every bit is good. It was a really terrific read, and if you haven't seen it, uh, uh, check it out. Um, I think now, guys, this is about halfway, uh, the halfway mark of the podcast, and I'm not quite sure if you, listening at home or in your car, are lucky enough to have tricked upon a commercial-free Southside Sox podcast or not. In case you haven't, and you're unlucky enough to have a couple ads, they are going to appear just about right now. And if not, if we just come right back on, start rapping about the uh, Cactus League season so far for the White Sox, then lucky you, you've happened upon a commercial-free Southside Sox podcast. So we'll be back in either just a second or two or eh, a minute or two. Hey there, we're back. We're back with the Southside Sox podcast. I'm here with Darren Black, writer for Southside Hip Pen. Uh, we spent the first half talking a little bit about uh, the ugliest, biggest low light of so far uh, baseball in 2020. And now maybe we're going to move over to talk about White Sox, talk about the early Cactus League season. The White Sox are now, I believe, 5-3. and three. Uh, It occurs to me that I got was so excited to welcome Darren on to the podcast and get this Southside Sox podcast launched here that I didn't even really acknowledge the clip I I started the show with and that was your mean Mercedes clocking another ball to the wall uh driving in a run in today's crazy uh 8-7 victory over the Angels um so maybe let's start with your mean uh let's talk a little bit about this um this ridiculous presence on the White Sox roster a guy who seems like he can't actually play but he can hit the hell out of the ball what what's going to happen with him what are we going to do with him well, first off, I want to just say we just finished February, so don't make any <laughs> best conclusions yet. But what? It was the a season's long, not starting? arduous February. But, <laughs> but, so, I mean, I mean, your mean Mercedes has been one, like, one of the most fun people to watch. Um, if you had MILB.TV or when or were in North Carolina um, this past uh, season, and he's... I mean, he's definitely brought his bat to spring so far with a couple homers. He seems to be hitting everything in sight, just like normal. Um, I'm not sure what's going to end up happening to him. I always come back to the fact that he was a uh, a minor league uh, portion of the Rule of Five draft pick, and he is now currently 27 and doesn't have a defensive position, really. I keep coming back to that, but he keeps hitting the ball, and that's... I mean, that's probably more important than anything else uh, out of the equation I just said. But he's he's certainly good at that one thing. Very good. Darren Black, nitpicking that minor, minor, <laughs> minor thing of your mean Mercedes not being able to play baseball in the field. Boy, I tell you, he's tough, yeah. folks. He's tough. I don't think we can mention your mean without shouting out to the wonderful, wonderful minor league writer we have in, in North Carolina, among many, and that's Julie Brady, who is... Uh, I think she is number one uh, in the, I think she might actually, I'd have to see her car, but I think she is 
has the 00001 card in the Yermeen Mercedes fan club. And so there's just no way to mention Yermeen without giving a shout out to Julie and her wonderful work. Um, but anyway, let's talk, uh, let's talk, let's jump around. Let's not just go player by player. Is there somebody so far early on, of course, given that it's early, given that the actual rotation hasn't even, I believe Dallas Keuchel, uh, speaking of, Dallas Keuchel <laughs> makes his uh, spring debut, I think uh, tomorrow, uh, Monday. Yes, he does. Um, so the guys are just starting to get going because, you know, it's March and they've been there for two weeks and they don't really know why they've been there for two weeks. But now it's like, OK, spring training can start for these guys. Uh, is there anybody to date, whether just the reports you're hearing about how they're working out or what you've seen in games who have maybe surprised or, or disappointed you in the early going? Any any signs, any tea leaves that you're seeing? Uh, well, I'll start with a couple relievers, um, and I'll start with the positives since we just went through a bunch of <laughs> negatives with the Astros. Um, Cody Hoyer, I mean, I really liked him last season. Um, I like him much better as a reliever than what he was drafted as as a starter um, when he was in college. Um, he was sitting at 98-99, which is fantastic, especially for um, a guy with kind of coming from that starting uh, uh, background and finally getting that mile per hour up to where it needs to be. Especially, I mean, especially he, he was doing that in February, uh, which is fantastic. I, he, I don't think he's allowed to run yet. Um, got a couple, got a couple strikeouts. I mean, he looks really good early on. I don't think, I wouldn't anticipate seeing him on the south side this season unless some um, bad things happen in the bullpen. Um but he's definitely a guy to watch. Um, on the low end, I feel like Zach Birdie is just always picked on, so I feel mm. bad for mentioning him. But he uh, he didn't look so hot his first game. Um, I don't think his second one was on TV, so I didn't watch it. Um, but he was his fastball was still at that 95-96 range that was after the Tommy John that we were all concerned about. Um, seems like it's still what it where it was at the AFL last season where he had to stop pitching because nothing was really happening. Um, it just kind of seems like Tommy John surgery helps some people, and it's not really looking like it really helps Zach Birdie at this point. Is that a matter of with with Zach that some guys can adjust, can can lose, can take the ticks off of the fastball, but have other things? in the toolbox to be able to get to, and he maybe hasn't proven he's done that, whereas maybe other guys might be nuanced enough to sort of roll with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to, to stick with the two, Birdie and Hoyer, I don't I don't believe Hoyer has a fantastic second offering yet. I just think he's throwing 98-99 in February, which is probably much faster than what other than what hitters are probably yeah. <laughs> dealing with mostly. Um, but even if you take a look at Zach Birdie's brother, Nick Birdie, who had a similar surgery, um, I mean, he's already back up to that 98, 99 range. So even in the same family, it even affects people differently. Um, Zach's um, second and third offerings were never his highlight. It was always that fastball. And you just, after you have a 99, 100 mile an hour fastball, you kind of need is just an average change. And bada bing, bada boom, you're mm -hmm. a late inning guy. Um, but it just, it's, I mean, it's, again, it's February 95, 96 is by no means a bad mile per hour um, for a reliever, but he will certainly need to find a, a breaking or get his change up a little bit uh, more under command if he's going to be a mid-90s guy now. Yeah, let, let's hope that he can crank it up. And we know for a fact, let's just be clear about this, it's great that Cody's maybe a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of what, what he's throwing in February, but imagine when the guy grows his hair back. When he gets that longer flow going, he, that's that's got to be good for – that could be two, three ticks right there. So I don't see yeah. him getting fatigued, yeah. you know, in Charlotte or, or, or Birmingham uh, at a certain point because by that time he's going to just be be able to rear back and say, all right, I got the flow going. Yeah, Watch we out. should also tell Michael Kopech to get the flow as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I, I get it that the hair goes down. He seems, with... like to, he's a, yeah, he seems like he's in a really good place outside of everything, so don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Um in the lineup, you, you got some similar observations? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, your mean Mercedes is <laughs> hitting the crap out of the ball, which is awesome. But, I mean, just uh, just to take a couple seconds or a minute just to fawn over Luis Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. 
I, I always like to think that Kenny Williams is just sitting in his office and saying, that's what Jared Mitchell was supposed yep. to look like. Yep. <laughs> yep. But he, I mean, he, even when he takes a bad route or stumbles around second or really isn't paying attention on the field, his F, like he's showing all five tools and they're all popping. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't remember thinking that about any other Sox prospect. So maybe finally one of them will hit it out of the gate right away. Um, and I'm really hoping so. Uh, but I mean, just from, from day to day at last Tuesday, he went, uh, there was a breaking ball low and away. He rolled over on it. Uh, the next day it was a breaking ball a little bit higher, but he just cranked it off the wall the next day for a double. And it was, it was a double for him. It would have been a single for any yeah. other person yeah. because he hit the ball so hard. Yeah. And I, I, and I think, I don't know if he had the homer today or it was yesterday, but that just yeah. line shot in the gap, it was, I mean, well, let's, he, he is going to be fantastic. And let's go and let's go back to you talking about the double that should have been a single. Let's talk about that triple, which was ridiculous. I know I've mentioned it in a couple different podcasts already, but the fact that he hit a ball that had such force that it scooted by, and the you know the right fielder uh, for the Giants wasn't even necessarily thinking it was going to happen. But everything San Francisco did there, I think, was pretty defensively sound. Short hopped on the on the relay throw, but everything was done well. And Luis didn't hesitate. I mean, granted, the aggressiveness is going to get him some trouble. It already has a couple times in the spring. So yeah. his aggressiveness is going to bite him here and there. But the fact that it, he didn't hesitate, he, I mean, he he knew the play. He saw the play in front of him. He knew what he could do. There was never any hesitation that he was going to get a triple there. And it would have taken, I mean, I want to think a 95 percentile or better play and throw to have got him there. And this is, it's, I mean, he's some of the stuff he does is frightening. And yeah, he's just so freakishly athletic. I mean, I, I'm, I've, read it before if he was born in the united states he'd be a wide receiver or a cornerback i <laughs> believe that 100 percent. because he is just he's going to be fantastic yeah. and i'm very glad that we won't have to have the nick madrigal effect of waiting until late april early oh, may jesus yeah and we can just watch him right away in march 26th yeah um uh in turn again still early but uh, you know if anything you're seeing uh you know Early on, that's a little worrisome in the lineup. But obviously, things have been shored up a lot better, and it seems like this team is a little bit more K-proof. Although it still remains to be seen whether they're going to just have a three-to-one ratio, two-to-one ratio, whatever it's going to be. But it seems like that's going to improve. It seems like it's a little bit more slump-proof because there's just more professional hitters yeah. are going to be in the lineup. But are there things early on that uh, may may be concerning you? Yeah, I mean, well, to go along with the second base uh, opening, because Nick Madrigal, odds are, will probably not be on the opening day roster. And Danny Danny Mendick, I mean, again, very, very early, but doesn't seem to be taking the Jacob May swing of things in the spring to get himself a opening day job. Um, he looks overmatched at times. Um, I mean, he looked really good for three, four weeks Um in September last year, but he doesn't look up to par right now. Um, I'm really pulling for him. I think those like 20th, 20th round guys that finally get up to the majors are fantastic stories, especially for the White Sox who don't really get even a lot of their top prospects. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good story overall, but I'm really pulling for him. But he looks a bit overmatched early so far. Do you think there's uh, what do you think the likelihood of the the guy who does break camp uh, sort of as that 26 man, is there a chance that guy still isn't on the roster or really comes out of, really comes out of nowhere? Or do we think what we have is, is what we're going to just have to choose from? Honestly, I think, I think the out of nowhere um, move right now is to just have magical be the opening day, second baseman. Mm -hmm. Cause I just do not expect that at all to happen. I know some people hold out of hope. I'm more cynical cause they, they've done it before. Um, so I don't expect it. I, I, I think it's probably going to be Leary Garcia. He's going to come in, play second, start there. Um, may, maybe some off day. May, uh, Danny Mendick will come in as, like, as a backup utility guy. Um, but yeah, the starting second baseman opening day, I think it's going to be Leary. And then Nomar, Luis, and Eloy um, will be in the outfield for at least the time being until Madrigal's service time is ready to come up. Do you think, yeah, right. Do you think, um, 
you think a do the White Sox uh, carry three catchers and B if they do uh, is it is it a foregone conclusion at Zach Collins or does uh, Sebi Zavala have a shot there uh, well I think at this point Sebi Zavala is like an actual like defensive guy um, and they already have Yasmani Grandel and James McCann there is too much of a gap there um, to really need another defensive guy and defensive specialist even though Sebi does have some power um, but his uh, case struggles are not not very good. Um, I guess calling Zach Collins as a catcher is a stretch to me <laughs> still. Um, but he also he's also a little bit of near me Mercedes. Um, just he has more pedigree and the first round pick, a couple years younger. Uh, Lefty bat already. Um, but I. I see it. I, I think it'll end up being Collins. Um, but honestly, if your mean keeps this up, I don't think it can't be him. You got to give that guy a bets if you want to win early. Is there an argument that says because Collins is still like sort of uh, um, your mean light in terms of his defensive ability? Is there an ar- is there a legitimate argument that can be made that uh, Collins should start at AAA and, and try to hone that defense? Or do you think that he's he's reached that ceiling already? I think, well, honestly, I think he should just play first base and try to learn that position. Um, but I, but Gavin Sheets will also be in AAA too, so it'd be a weird dynamic. Um, honestly, if somebody, if Jermaine Mercedes or somebody else beats out Collins for that 26 spot, I, I wouldn't expect Zach Collins to be in the White Sox organization in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think he'd be nice trade bait for a team looking for a lefty bat, um, but. At this point, I, I'm just kind of falling towards Collins because the Sox have a history of letting their high draft picks, even if they prove over and over and over again they don't deserve a shot, um, they'll get it. Um, and he'll probably have it for as long as he has. Because, I mean, they gave A.J. Reed so many at-bats last year, I can't even think of a low point when they won't stop going for a former first-round pick to get that uh uh, projections well especially with the added power that it's actually it's an actual white Sox first round draft pick oh my goodness yeah um, diane Viciato was there for so long <laughs> oh my god yeah ah oh, diane um uh okay um bernardo flores jr had uh, a nice outing today he pitched two innings four uh, k's uh, there's a bunch of guys who are going to just sort of like grist for the mill that are going to be that are going to make up i think at least a significant portion of the charlotte knights rotation is Flores, is it, uh, is it um, Stever? Uh, who, who is the most realistic? I mean, given that the White Sox have sort of somewhat proved to themselves from having to have that desperation, number three, number four, number five starter as, as they did last year, given that maybe there's not going to be that need to have to have a guy break camp, uh, who among the like legit uh, organization arms, not, not any sort of retread situation? Um, I mentioned two, maybe there's somebody else I'm skipping. At. Who, who do you see as the guy who could come up this year, maybe get a spot start, or would be, in case of perhaps injury, a legit uh, a White Sox system arm that might come up? Or will they just not do that and they're going to get, they're going to look up uh, Despagne in Korea and, and bring him back? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if anyone from Korea is coming to the United States anytime soon for other <laughs> ah, reasons, true. but. <laughs> but um, in terms of just prospects, so I'm, I'm not going to count like a Michael Kopech coming back right. uh, in a May or June or whatever. Um, but I think Bernardo Flores will definitely get that first shot. Um, say this Gio Gonzalez shoulder thing is a little bit worse. Maybe they just say, okay, Ross Detweiler to have a couple starts, whatever. But for, I think Bernardo Flores is definitely going to get that shot to begin with. Um, it, I think it would have been Dane Dunning if he didn't have surgery last season, mm-hmm. but he's going to have to um, take it slow to begin with. But it's definitely Flores. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Stever is going to start at double A. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he does really well at double A, maybe they fast track him if the Sox are doing well also. Um, but yeah, I, I'll go Flores, then Stever, then Dunning. Um, and then obviously Kovac will probably be up there in May. Yeah, one nice one nice thing, if you can call it a nice thing about this ridiculous spate of industry, in, injuries and all the Tommy John of the last uh, calendar year plus is the fact that these guys, you know, by and large are all coming back. They're going to come back sort of on, on different timetables. But 
I mean, you got a situation where Rodon, Carlos Rodon is almost guaranteed to be ticketed for the bullpen. Uh, I mean, it's, this. I mean, we could go from a situation, especially having added at least one very key free agent arm, and, and really two, uh, f- from la- this time last year where we were like, you know, I'm looking up pronunciation guys. I'm trying to just, figure out who half these guys yeah, are, and this is going to be like throwing out retread after retread yeah, after retread. It was tough. Yeah, I, that's, even even for people that have to write about it, it was very tough. Yeah, I mean, it's like our it's like a legit rotation, and then it's like a legit rotation plus. I mean, obviously, you know, Dunning, Kopech, uh, Radon, you know, all these guys aren't necessarily going to come back better than ever. Some may, as we've talked about Zach Birdie, we, you know, it's still up for question whether or not they're even going to be able to get back to where they were. But the idea that, you know, we had all these guys that were sort of on the sidelines, they just sort of paused their season last year. You know, suddenly now we got maybe, you know, we might have a situation where we got 10 legit arms competing for that rotation. That that might not be a bad problem. I, I, I wouldn't mind trying yeah. on that pair of pants for sure. No. And I mean, to go, um, to the rotation like i because so many guys are going to be come off and coming off of injury i wouldn't be surprised if they did a six man in the middle of the summer as well just the limit innings for the the home stretch if they needed to um to keep getting guys whatever they needed because um, i mean dylan cease he was in the majors last year but this is going to be his first um february to yeah late september in his career and he's i mean Odds are he's not going to throw 200 innings, knowing also his injury history. Um, so you, they're going to have to stagger and also try to limit innings for a bunch of guys as well. So it's going to be kind of a – it'll be a much more fun merry-go-round for yeah. the starting rotation, yeah. but uh, and it'll be for a legitimate purpose yeah. instead of just trying to scrap it together. Yeah. All right. Um, a, uh, a, a Okay, a spot challenge because you've written several times on Ronaldo Lopez. So I'm going to I'm gonna get a <laughs> prediction from you now. And the prediction is in, okay, well, a season's end. End of the season. Last, last day of the season is Ronaldo um, in the rotation? Is he in the back end of the bullpen? Is he even on the team? I... I'm going to go with him in the bullpen. Um, I'm not going to put him as a closer or whatever. I think Aaron Bummer will be the closer by the end of the season. Um, but he'll you'll probably see him in the seventh, eighth inning, throwing 99, throwing a okay changeup every now and then and getting some pretty important outs. But I don't think he'll be in the rotation long. So we can cross our fingers and hope that he sort of um, drinks that same soup that Lucas uh, Giolito <laughs> did, did yeah. last year. But we just think that perhaps, just based on what you've seen, and you've studied him very closely, that whatever clicked with Lucas isn't necessarily going to click with Lopez? Yeah, I mean, he's just such an enigma. Like he, like Lucas Giolito coming over from the Nationals, um, as prospects, they, like, it was the fastball, and then they were both were supposed to have fantastic curveballs. Um, neither of them have fantastic, fantastic curveballs anymore. I don't know if that's just a White Sox thing or whatever, but they lost that breaking pitch, um, and he hasn't even been able to rediscover it. Um, in 2018, his slider was the one that saved him. His changeup was good too, but it was really the slider that was getting a lot of the swing and misses and was the second offering to that big fastball. Um, and then last season, it just didn't work. Um, and I mean, that makes sense. He was trying to make a pitch from the fly in 2018, um, hasn't really used it a lot, so it didn't work in 2019. And I mean, the hope is that he comes back and he knows like, okay, this is my slider. It's what worked in 2018. He was using edutronic camera cameras or something like that to fix the grip. Um, but I just think when it all says and done, just his pitching profile, it, it just screams bullpen to me at the, at the end of the day. Giving you the straight dope. It's not sugar-coated. That's Darren Black giving you the analysis. It's real. I'm here trying to root for guys. I'm here overreacting to Cactus League performance. And Darren's here to tell me, Brett, chill. Come on, it's all right. He's cute. Yes, he's got an accent in his name. That's your mean Mercedes. We love him, but come on, Brett. What are you going to do with him? Come on. I mean, he, he's just so he's so fun. I Minnesota has uh, Williams Estadio. That's true. And he's a really fun person. Um, and it, it'd be fantastic if we had uh, someone like Yermi and Mercedes as well in the major leagues. Um, but again, I don't, he's a DH only, and that's that's hard um, in this day and age to only have a, 
even just a one position guy at this point. Maybe it'll be a concession by the White Sox to say, okay, we lost Yomer, and that was big time fun. We got Eloy, and he is really, he's stepping into leadership role and a fun role. But man, there's still a Yomer Sanchez deficit, and I think perhaps this guy could, who knows? It's a, It could be a why thing, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, but they have some fun guys. Eloy, Eloy is, is a hoot. That guy is yep. awesome. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to come down the, to the whatever roster construction is. And I, I don't think your mean, your, your mean Mercedes is going to fit his uh, gigantic bat into um, a very slim role. Uh, okay, listeners, um, we are hopefully getting on a regular schedule now with Southside Sox podcast. Of course, you can also listen into the Southside Hip Hen podcast. Uh, that's out there somewhere. You can find it. Um, Darren Black clearly giving us a straight dope. He's going to be appearing on 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 both. I need I need a counterbalance to my uh, effervescent, bubbly White Sox personality because Lord knows I never take a harsh take on anybody or anything. It's just here's the thing: my harsh takes don't have any like legitimate backing to them. Darren will be able to say, "Okay, here's why. Here's the stats. Here's what I've seen. Uh, did you even watch the game, Brett?" And so you know we'll balance each other out. All right, you know we'll balance each yeah. other out some. But, I'll give you any cynical take you need any <laughs> <time of> day. <laughs> the cynical brothers. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, keep on reading Southside Sox. Uh, we're obviously ramping up coverage. Um, I'm sure sooner or later, uh, sooner than later, uh, Darren will be back to sort of check my uh, incredible optimism about this team. Or maybe, who knows, he might lift my spirits when I'm down on them because I can be pretty mood swing about these guys. So uh, perhaps he'll uh, be around maybe next time around on the Southside uh, Sox podcast to uh, he'll be the cheerleader he'll say Brett it's not so bad it's not so dark come on they just lost three games in a row in Arizona who cares and you know I'll I say, mean it happened oh. with Giolito so that's true that's true so again thanks everybody for listening uh, we'll be back at you at no longer than a week's time and uh, on behalf of Darren Black Southside hip end writer and myself uh, managing editor of Southside Sox Brett Palantini thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you again real soon.